My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. A number of years ago, my wife and I had the incredible privilege of backpacking around Europe, and uh, I wanted to see certain sites. And one of the sites that was really meaningful to me as a child was the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And so we went to Italy, we went to Pisa, we were riding a train, got off the train, uh, took a bus, and ended up... Uh, you know, in the, in the area of this Tower of Pisa. I'd never seen it except in pictures, but I had heard all kinds of stories about it, how Galileo had dropped the cannonballs uh, from, you know, the varying weights and heights and kind of tested out his theories of gravity. I was, I was a geek, you know, growing up. Still am. And, um, and I wanted to see it. I mean, I just, one of those things I just wanted to witness with my own eyes. My wife and I walked down the pathway, the sidewalk, which has a large stone wall, and we walked around and we looked at it and we saw it and it was just it was one of those emotional moments like seeing the Mona Lisa what was for me was just being right there in something that I'd seen so much in pictures and video and books but actually witnessing it and there were a couple uh, pretty kind of profound things first of all we realized it's a church. It's a bell tower of a church, and there's three big buildings. And, you know, these medieval churches, there's a big baptistry building, and then there's the actual church building uh, in the shape of a cross, and then there's a bell tower to call people to worship. And if you know anything about the history of the Tower of Pisa, uh, it's not leaning because of those cannonballs that Galileo dropped off. It's leaning because when they began to build it in the 12th century, they didn't realize that they were building it on a soft foundation. They didn't realize that underneath the earth, it was a soft, sandy base. And so by the 14th century, when they finished it, it leaned. These days, it leans about six degrees. And you can see that it's pretty significant. Uh, you're not allowed to go up there anymore, but it is a pretty phenomenal sight. You don't have to go to Italy, though, to see a leaning tower. All you have to do is hop on I-5 and go down to San Francisco, where you can see the Millennium Tower. The Millennium Tower is uh, an amazing, amazing uh, feat. It is a high-rise with uh, $400 multi-million dollar condos. It's the tallest residential building in San Francisco. Uh, and, and it is amazing because if you have like a spare 2 to $10 million, you get a panoramic view of the Bay Area. Well, after it was finished in 2008, after all the awards had been given out and everybody was excited... Uh, something began to happen. It began to sink on one side. 
What they didn't realize at the time was that they had built the Millennium Tower on a sandy, even though a hard, but a sandy base, unlike the other skyscrapers in the city that were built on rock-solid bedrock. And so as of late, it's leaned 14 inches, and there are multiple lawsuits. Because when you pay $10 million for a view, you don't want it to lean, right? Well, you know, obviously, whoever built this building was not a follower of Jesus or had never read the Sermon on the Mount. Because if they'd read the Sermon on the Mount, they would have known that Jesus' last words in this awesome sermon was, where it doesn't matter how cool your building is, doesn't matter how tall your skyscraper is, how palatial your, your palace is, if you build it on sand, it is going to crash into the sea. It's going to fall. It's going to sink. And Jesus said simply this, you can decide in your life, in the course of your life, to build your house. We all build that. It's a metaphor for our life. You can build it on one of two different foundations, a rock solid foundation or a sandy base of foundation. Because Jesus says when, not if, when the storms of life come and batter your home, your life, the only thing that's going to matter is not the windows, It's not the roof. It's not the paintings inside or the way you've decorated. The only thing that's going to matter is where did you build it? On a rock, solid foundation, which Jesus is saying, my words, put them into practice, me, the rock of ages, or have you built it on shifting sand? And Jesus concludes the sermon by saying, here's how you know. It's a simple, everyone, even today, we can know this, that if we hear Jesus' words, and put them into practice, then we're building our life on the rock of ages. But if we hear Jesus' words and just disregard them, our life will come crashing down one day because when the storms come, not if, but when the storm comes, we have not built our life on the teachings of Jesus. You know, the reality is it's been a challenging year for us, and um, it, it is true that COVID has brought a big storm to us. But if you stop and think about it, we've actually had five, actually I would count seven major storms that have hit us in the last year plus. Well, the first one was a global infirmity, right? This pandemic, uh, you know, we've, I don't know if you've gotten vaccinated. I have, I can not wear a mask now. I still wear it in some places. But the fact is, is that people have gotten sick. My, My family's gotten sick. People have died We've lost so many people just in the United States alone. It's ravaged other countries like India. And we know that there's been a global infirmity, and that just rocked our world, which was kind of like the first domino that fell, because then we added another storm, which was social instability. Because now, all of a sudden, people are upset, people are worried, people are filled with fear, which then led to financial insecurity, because the markets were all over the place, which is kind of crazy. Nobody would have imagined a year ago that the price of housing in Washington County would be skyrocketed, right? As, as well as the price of plywood, okay? All right. But the fact is, it, you know, when this global infirmity came, and then the social instability leading to financial insecurity which then we had the George Floyd killing and we had racial injustice. When inequality came racially, 
it's just our, our world turned upside down. Portland, you know, I mean, so many nights in a row of all of these protests of people protest, protesting racial injustice. And then we ended the year on a high note with political incivility, right? Uh, we, we wrapped into the year with January 6th with the storming of the Capitol, okay? Even here in Salem, right? And, and so the fact is, it's been a year of storms. And if you just happen to have been like on the International Space Station this last year, you missed it all. But the rest of us on terra firma, we have really wrestled with storms. And then if you're an Oregonian, you know that Labor Day weekend, what did we have? Fires. We had so many fires that there was smoke everywhere. I was on a trip just the week after that up in Missoula, Montana, and there was smoke everywhere. And so I asked them, where are your fires? They said, we don't have any fires. Those are Oregon fires, all the smoke from that. And then not long after that, we had ice storms. Isn't that crazy? We had ice storms. I was down at a friend's church in Silverton where they had over 100 new telephone poles power lines because they had all cracked and split. We showed up at uh, my son's college there at Corbin and all these massive ancient trees, these old trees had just cracked because of the weight of that. He even sent us a picture of one of the transformers blowing up and causing a fire. It's like talk about storm after storm. And I know you know it and I know you felt it and maybe you're still feeling the effects of the storms. I said it last week and I want to say it again. I love you I love our church. I'm proud of you. It's been a challenging year, but we've not taken up arms against one another. I spent a lot of time with pastors, and I will tell you that some pastors are just about ready to give up because they're just tired. They're exhausted. I talked to one pastor, and after spending time with him, and it was a really good time, showed me his church, talked about some things, you know, after about an hour or so, I looked at him and said, so how are you doing really? Because I know it's been hard. And he said, well, this might give you an indication. I was talking to my wife last night about quitting and working as an Amazon truck driver. And I said, it's been that hard, huh? He said, yeah, pastoring has been that hard. He said, I've never had more people hate me on both sides because we couldn't make the decisions they wanted. And I just want to say this. At sunrise, I love you. I have no intention of driving for Amazon. (laughs) I will purchase from them probably this week. But the fact is, is that you guys are awesome. I know we've had our struggles. But, but, but you have been able to grow through those. And when the storms came, not if, you built your life on a solid foundation, which is the teachings of God's word, of Jesus Christ. But maybe it's true that you're still dealing with the storms. Maybe it's true that you're still wrestling with the storms. Maybe personally, Some of the issues that I brought up, some of the storms, are still resonating in your soul. And maybe it still hurts. I want to lead you to a passage of scripture today that I think will be so encouraging to you. And give you so much hope as we're in this series on Contagious Hope. Um, Peter is in a boat with the other disciples. A storm is raging all around him. They all see Jesus begin to walk by. And good old Pete, he's the only one that ventures out onto the water, and he heads towards Jesus, and you know the story. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he puts his eyes onto the storm. And what happens? He begins to sink immediately. That's what will happen to you and to me if we take our eyes off of Jesus 
and put them onto the storms all around us. It doesn't mean that the storms aren't raging. It doesn't mean that the storms are not dangerous, maybe even life-threatening. It just means we shouldn't be focusing on the storms. We should be focusing on Jesus, the one who can walk on water. And in a beautiful, beautiful way uh, of kindness through Jesus, as Peter cries out with these words, Lord, save me. Isn't that great? Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down and pulls him up on top of the water. And I hope this message today does that for you. It's done it for me. Well, um, in Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 18 to 20. There's a lot more we could look at in this passage. Let me read all of it and then kind of back up and make some thoughts on it and some comments. It's in the middle, so I'll have to explain this, but let me just jump in. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. That's our word hope. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. Now, that is kind of a cryptic passage in some ways because there's a lot of extra things going on there. So let me take some time to explain that. The, the writer of Hebrews here is explaining uh, about faith and about hope. So he's writing about this because these people have been battered by storms. They're Jewish believers that have been scattered around and they've been hit by storm after storm after storm. And their storms are persecution. Their storms are the Roman government uh, fighting them and basically in many ways uh, trying to annihilate them because of their faith in Jesus. And so they're scattered around. It's uh, becoming more and more difficult, dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it's not quite illegal yet to the point where everybody kills you, but it's getting there and they're facing the persecution. And some of the believers are tempted to fall back into their old system, the system of Judaism, and to leave Jesus and go back to Moses because it's safer there because of the persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to them to encourage them. And along the journey, he has to give them example after example. There's a whole chapter on this in chapter 11, just about faith. But one of those characters is Abraham. And he writes about Abraham in this chapter and explains how God visited Abraham and had given Abraham a promise and an oath. He had made this decision, this covenant with Abraham. And as he did this, he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. I'm going to make you famous. And the whole world is going to be blessed through you. And uh, in Abraham's lifetime, hardly any of that happened. In fact, it took 25 years for him to actually have a son. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, just like Abraham had to put all of his hope into God, into the promise, and into the oath that God made, that's what we are to do. Because God doesn't lie. God will not deceive you. God does not shrink back when it comes time to make the payment. God is not just all flowing words. He is a faithful, trustworthy God. Now, the reality is none of us like to wait though, right? Um, sometimes we have to wait minutes. <laughs> this last week, I was up in Seattle uh, doing some pastor training, and um, it, it was not that big of a deal, but I was reminded again of how impatient I am because I was on the fifth floor of this hotel, and I was waiting to go down, and I needed to go to my next place, and I was going to be running late, and so I pushed the button on the elevator, and I waited, 
And there are two elevators, and I wait. And I hear the mechanics going on, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And I waited and waited, and I looked at my watch, and I thought, I'm going to be late to my pastor training. And so I thought, okay, where's the, the stairs? I looked. I didn't see where the stairs were, and I pushed the button again. Have you ever been there? Isn't that just how childish we are? I was so childish in that moment. I couldn't even wait for an elevator, a machine that was going to take me down five flights, right? Abraham would have just been like, that's the miraculous. The doors open up, you go in, and you're transported to another level, right? It's like, I was so impatient. Sometimes our patience means we have to wait for just a minute. And that's really all I had to wait for. Sometimes we have to wait for hours, Have you been in a situation where you're waiting for a phone call or you're waiting for an email to come in? Sometimes patience requires hours. Sometimes patience requires days, waiting for an important meeting, for an important event, right? Uh, I I was uh, participating in a funeral yesterday, uh, the fourth of actually in the last six weeks uh, that I've been able to lead as a pastor, uh, funerals and graveside. And, um, you know, just anticipating that and the family anticipating that. The day when they would together collectively say goodbye to their dad, to their grandpa. Sometimes waiting requires days. Sometimes waiting requires years, right? Maybe you're, you're young and you're waiting for graduation, high school graduation or college graduation. Last night I finished uh, a, a premarital counseling with a young couple, which we had to do on Zoom because of the pandemic and their location. And so I finished up the premarital counseling on Zoom and they have three weeks they're waiting, right? Isn't that awesome? Three weeks. It's like sometimes you have to wait for days and she knows the days. She counted the hours. I'm like, that's, but you got to wait for that. Okay, sometimes you have to wait for days. Sometimes you have to wait for years. Some of you are waiting for your retirement, which might be years, right? Um, And sometimes, let's be honest, we have to wait for a lifetime. There are some aspects of the Christian faith that we will never see come true in our lifetime. In fact, even in the life and the story of Abraham and all these people in faith in Hebrews 11... They were looking ahead to something that they would not see with their own eyes. It was an eternal city. Even though they had been promised, even though there had been an oath, they weren't going to receive everything that was promised in this lifetime. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't only put our hope in this world, in this lifetime. In fact, if that's all we have, if we hope in just this world and there's no other world, then the Apostle Paul said we're to be pitied among all people. Because yes, we have a hope today, but we have a hope for eternity By faith in God's promise and oath, Abraham traveled this world as a foreigner. And he's an example of someone who kept his eyes on the unseen and not just on the scene, even though that's so easy for us to struggle with. And so there's a couple phrases here. Um, He says here, it's impossible for God to lie. God's made promises. Therefore, uh, the idea here is because of all that he said, you know, we have fled to him for refuge. We who have fled to him for refuge. I love that because the writer evokes, because he's writing to Jewish people, the Old Testament. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that God said, when you go into the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, which we would call Israel now, Palestine, when you go into that that little ancient Near East community, tiny little sliver of land. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to build six cities of refuge, three on the side of the west of the River Jordan, three on the side of the east of the River Jordan, and I want you to build two of those in the north, 
two of those in the center and two of those in the south because I know that there will be people that need safety and protection. And a city of refuge in the Old Testament was designed to be a place that if you somehow accidentally, inadvertently killed someone. If it was somehow you're building a house and something fell on them, you're swinging an axe and the axe head falls off and, you know, and it hits them or whatever. It's all spelled out in scripture and the law that you can run and you run to a city of refuge. You flee to a city of refuge. And when you have fled to a city of refuge, those elders open the gate for you and they keep you safely in there and they do not allow the avenger of blood to come and take your life. And so this is a place literally, that these people would have understood. They would have, you know, seen this in scripture. And now metaphorically, the writer says this, we have fled to him. Jesus has paid for our sin. When we rightly deserve punishment because of our action, because of our sin, we fled into a city of refuge called Jesus. The gates have been closed. God now is protecting us and he's made the payment for us. We have fled to him for refuge and we can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. The word hope, we'll see more next week, but it's a desire of a good expectation a desire of obtaining something. It's the anticipation, right? It's not just something that we hope happens, right? We hope this happens. I, you know, I hope there's a good Father's Day meal. I know there's one at my house afterwards, and so none of you are welcome because we just have enough for us. But if, you know, if you're really, really intent, you know where I live. Okay, and so, uh, but I hope for something. It's not just like, uh, you know, just this kind of this thing I hope for. I hope I get good grades, you know. I hope I get that job. I hope that person, you know, wants to marry me. I hope those kind of things, right? It's not that. It's an expectation of a promise that God has made to us. Hope is one of the most distinctives, or I should say should be one of the most distinctive marks of a follower of Jesus because Peter, we saw this last fall, writes and says, you should live your life in such a way that there is an exuberant hope in your life. And people are going to look at you. Followers of Jesus are going to look at you, but non-followers of Jesus, people that don't have a clue what you're talking about, and the only evidence that something is happening in you is there's a hope that you have. And that hope is so compelling that they've got to come up and ask you, what is it about your life? Tell me about the hope that you have, and then you should be ready to give an answer. Hope should be the defining mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. We live life not just this hopeful life, but the next life after this one. It's been said that we can live 40 days without food. Obviously, I've never tried that, okay? 40 days without food. About three days without water. About eight minutes without oxygen. But we can only live one second without hope. But our hope is only as strong as what it's attached to. And so the writer here says this. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Now, uh, uh, an anchor was something that was used in seafaring days uh, as a symbol, uh, obviously, of hope. In fact, of safety and security. And it was used in a ship. Of course, we understand that, that you would lower an anchor. But early followers of Jesus took it on as a symbol of faith in Jesus. If you were to go to Rome into the catacombs down uh, where they had buried the bodies, uh, that you will see anchors, 
uh, at least 59, if not more, carved into the stone because an anchor became a symbol of a follower of Jesus. Uh, We know the ichthus, the fish, but an anchor became a a symbol of we're hoping for Jesus. We're hoping in a resurrection because Jesus was resurrected. The word anchor is a metaphor and literally it means that which supports uh, something which is steadfast during a time of trial or doubt. And in the Greek language, the original language, the, 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 the base of the word just meant this. It meant something that was bent, something that was hooked. You think about it. Maybe you, you, you like to fish. You've got a little hook right there. Well, an anchor was a, a piece of iron, sometimes stone back in that day, that was designed in such a way that it would have a bend in it, that would have a hook in it, that when you would lower it down into the dark, murky waters, when you were in the bay there, and you would anchor it down, it would attach itself to something down under the surface of the water down at the base and this anchor of hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor the words strong and trustworthy are virtually synonymous in the greek language but this is basically what they mean when it means it's strong it means it can't break so our hope our hope in jesus christ can't break all right it shouldn't break because it's strong and it's trustworthy meaning it cannot slip the knot is tied so tightly that it cannot slip now, here's what makes a strong and trustworthy anchor. Um, if, if, if you think about this, the, the, the beautiful metaphor, the analogy of this anchor, uh, there's a couple things that has to be true. One, it has to be attached to the ship. You know, it'd be kind of like a, a Marx movie or, you know, Abbott Costello or something like that, Three Stooges, if they throw the anchor in the water and it's not attached to the boat, right? Okay, that's like poke your eyes out kind of thing, right? It's like you've got to attach it to the bow of the ship. And then... You've got to sink that anchor. It's got to have a weight. But it's not just a weight that's floating around in the water. Because it's no good if it doesn't attach itself to something below. So it has to attach itself to the ship. And it has to attach itself to the seabed below it. It gets stuck down there. Right? It's not enough just to hang your anchor out and float around with a heavy weight. Right? Because if you think about it, the water's the problem. Right? The water is the issue. The waves are the issue. The instability of the ocean, that's the issue. It has to go down and sink itself deep into something. The water moves. The water changes. The waves crash against the ship. The anchor, think about this, has to go down to a place that we've never been before. To dark, murky waters and go down deep and attach itself to something stronger than itself. Stronger than the rope. Stronger than the ship. And then therefore, no matter how many waves beat against and crash against your ship, it's going to be safe. So obviously, this is the metaphor. You and I need a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You and I need to have a hope that is secure. You and I need to put our hope into something that will stabilize us when, not if, when the storms of life come. Now again, I know as the pastor here, as I look around, We've all had a lot of storms this year. We've had a lot of storms. And maybe those seven storms I mentioned up there, (laughs) not even close to the storm that you've gone through. It could have been something, relationally speaking, somebody failed you, somebody blew it up. It could be financially. It could could be that you, you are not too confident about your future. It could be that you didn't invest in Bitcoin early enough, right? <laughs> or you watched all your investment begin to erode. I mean, the storms that affect us the most, honestly, 
are the ones that are the deepest into our heart. And they're usually relational. They're usually when a loved one dies. When we lose someone in a relationship that's broken. Or when somebody makes a really foolish decision, right? Or we make a really foolish decision. And now we no longer have the security that we used to have. We used to feel like we were standing on a solid foundation. We used to feel like our anchor was embedded in that person and it was secure. But friends, you can't embed your anchor in a person because nobody's that secure. You can't embed your anchor. You can't drop your anchor down into anything of this world because everything in this world will fail us. Everything in this world. I mean, I, I, God forbid that happens this week, but the reality is that could happen to you. But the sure and trustworthy is a strong anchor that will never fail you is in Jesus. Because we need not a physical anchor. We need a spiritual anchor. And we need a Jesus who has already gone deep down into the murky waters of the bay and has conquered sin and death, has gone down to the bottom And now he has anchored our life. Think about this. Are there any any rocks at the bottom of your soul that never change? Is there anything that you can just sink your life down into? Uh, For me, I, I get up in the morning and I read the scriptures. I'm in the book of Psalms. I just love it. I'm reading through Psalms. read Psalm 34 this morning. It's like these words are like an anchor for my soul. I come back to these words every year and they're just good and pleasant words. They're challenging words. God is speaking to me. I I know you think he's speaking to you. He's not. He's speaking to me, right? (laughs) Okay. You've got that same thing going on, right? Okay. What, what What is deep enough in your life and secure enough in your life that will never fail you? And you can't point to that person or you can't point to that thing here unless it's a spiritual thing. You can't put your hope in other people. You can't put your hope in your job, your physical world. Theologians would say that the reason we long for an anchor, the reason we all long for stability, the reason we all long for a hope that's lasting beyond us is because there's the possibility of it. You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know this. You know that you're putting your hope in something. The very reason... That you, as a human being, would be putting your hope in something is an indication that there is something that we can sink our teeth into, right? That we can put our hope into. If all we are are just evolved creatures over millions and billions of years, then we would not have hope. We're the only people, right? I mean, (laughs) my cats don't hope for tomorrow, right? They're just dumb creatures. They just live for the moment, right? Usually a nap, right? But we are different, than all of everything else in creation because we long for something. And the very indication that we long for something tells us there is something to long for. If you sink your anchor into any person or pursuit or performance or possession, it will not hold, and you will run your ship aground to the rocky shore. But if you anchor your life on Jesus Christ... You will go through the storms. There's no question. You will go through the storms. Jesus said if, not when. You will go through the storms. But your hope in Christ will bring you safely through the storms. Because he's already gone there. And he is worthy of putting our hope and trust in. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, 
It's like you're sinking your acre deep into the water where you've never been. You will never go until this life is over and you know that he's already done it. And we hope, what is it? It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary where he's already gone. He's already gone to that place and now we put our hope in him. The only way to make it through the storms of life is to take your eyes off of the storms, however real they are, and to put them onto Jesus Christ. He's given us, God, God's unchanging love for you is amazing. He's given us his, his living word, his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us his written word, the Bible. And he gives us all that we need to know his promise and his oath in Jesus and in his word. In 1834, hymn writer Edward Mote wrote these words. Let me read them. You might be old enough to know these words. My hope is built on the stock market and nothing less. No, 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 no. My hope is built on nothing less than my friendships and relationships. No. You know it, right? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, that, that rhymes, and it works, okay? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. In every rough and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. It's that scripture right there. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And just in case you didn't get it, he repeats it. All other ground is sinking sand. Can you say with certainty that your life is built upon the solid foundation of Jesus, that your anchor is deeply embedded into him? What anchors your soul is not going to be some hopeful confidence that you have, something very subjective your desires, but an objective reality, something apart from you, outside of you. You don't need great faith to make it through the storms of life. You just need to keep your eyes on Jesus because he's the object of our faith, right? So I want to close with the question, and it's this. What foundation are you anchoring your life to these days? You know, when you think about religion, I'm not, I'm not talking about religion. When you think about all the hopes of this world. I'm not talking about all the hopes of this world. When you talk about and think about your performance or your goals and at work and your family, I mean, those can all be great things, but they're going to fail you one day. You put your hope even in your own body, one day it will be gone. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says it this way. It's better to hang around funerals than parties. <laughs> Because at funerals, you realize the brevity of life because one day we all go that way. Even your own life will be taken from you. You can't put your hope in your performance or your good work. Even if you're not religious, you're putting your life and your hope into something. I don't care if you're in this room or you're online. You are sinking your anchor into something or someone. And if it's anything less than Jesus, Jesus already told us that when the storms come, your life is going to crash. 
Jesus is the only strong, trustworthy anchor for our soul. And that's what we want to invite you into at sunrise. And that is what kind of hope that would be so contagious that no matter the storms of last year or maybe even this year to come, you will be able to stand there confident that you've kept your eyes on Jesus and he is a sure and trustworthy anchor for your soul. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that in a, in a room this size or people watching online, it's very, very, very clear that not all of us have done that. There was a season in my life where I didn't sink my anchor into you. I sunk it into my performance. I, I sunk it into my goodness. I sunk it into what I could do and think and what I was going to build. And then you showed me that that would all crash, that would all fall apart, that the storms of life would have blown it all apart. And so many years ago, I, I, not on my own effort or energy, but I sunk my anchor deep into Jesus. And I pray that that is the case for everyone here, hearing, listening, watching, in this room online, that we know we have a strong, a trustworthy anchor for our soul, which is only embedded into Jesus Christ, that that is the foundation for our life. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us that. And if we're as a follower of Jesus, walk in that journey. And like Peter, we've stepped out onto the storm and we've begun to sink. Lord, say those beautiful words. Just speak those to us as we cry out, Lord, save me and reach down to us and pull us back up. We pray in your name. Amen.